Do you remember where you were when we elected a Sasquatch president? How about when you learned Ben Franklin was a robot? Or first heard Stalin's mixtape? I'm Zach Powers. I'm Brian Flynn, and we host The Revisionists. Each episode, one person explains real history and another tells an alternate version. And the winner becomes the truth. We let comics from Denver and around the country run wild through history. It's an in-depth look at history, but with more Babadooks. Check out The Revisionists, available every other Saturday. Wherever you get podcasts and at revisionistpodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 187. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got an entrepreneur. What a surprise. I love talking to them. I cannot get enough, and I love it when I get connected to people by old guests. Now, you might remember recently, I had CJ Latham. He's the founder of Bike A Latte. He created the pre-ride cold brew. And who helped him create that? It was Two Rivers Coffee. And today, I've got their founder, their creator, their head honcho, Eric Yoakum. And what a fascinating story Eric Yoakum has for us today. He was working in the fine dining industry. He was doing just fine. He had a great career. Worked for a great boss. He told me a lot more about him off mic. And he had no interest. It wasn't even on his radar to potentially buy a new business. He was settled. But an opportunity arose, and he started reaching out to people. He's like, hey, should I do this? And everyone goes, yeah, you should totally do this. And it was a space in Arvada, Novo Coffee. You've probably heard of them. You've probably had some of their stuff. It's great. This was like eight years ago. But they weren't doing so well in this spot up in, you know, the northwestern suburbs. Trying to trailblaze. Trying to evolve people's coffee drinking habits. And they said, we got to get out of here. Eric, do you want to buy it? And he goes, uh, no, thanks. Talked to a few people, like two and a half weeks later, here he was owning his own business. And so it's a fascinating origin story. It's a great journey. I love it when I find out how people ended up taking the leap. And it sounds like Eric wasn't even looking to take the leap. He was kind of pushed. And now he's here and he's doing amazing work. Now, what's also fascinating about this show is the more I learn about coffee, the sadder I am that I don't really drink it that often. Because coffee is wildly complex. Even more so than beer, even more so than wine. He gives you a comparison in this, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there are a certain number of chemical compounds in wine, and there are a certain number of chemical compounds in coffee. Coffee is much, much higher. And we end up talking a little bit about geopolitics in a very sort of tangential way, not like in a boring sort of, you know, weird like CNN way, but in a way that's real. Because coffee is grown in places all around the world with maybe not the most stable regimes, Maybe not the most fair economic practices. Maybe there's some corruption at different spots in the supply chain. And how do you work with that? How do you get this high-quality product from places in, say, Guatemala to Arvada, Colorado? And what Eric has learned along the way and the practices that he has instituted, he shares with us on this show, and I'm just thrilled to highlight it. Because what a good dude. He's creating jobs. He's slinging vibe in his neighborhood. He's working in his community, and he's having an impact globally. And I'm thrilled to highlight Two Rivers Coffee here on the John of All Trades podcast. Now, first, a couple of pieces of business. Check out our sponsor, Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, if you're building a website, if you are trying to build a community, if you have a message that needs to reach people, Four Degrees can not only help you create that message, but find the right people to get it in front of. The cost? Totally reasonable. Great folks working at Four Degrees. They're a supporter of the John of All Trades podcast, and I love highlighting their work. So check them out online. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. A personal note for me, through my company, the producer of this podcast, Deft Communications, I'm working on two new podcasting projects. That's right, work for hire. And I can't reveal them to you yet because they are not live. But what I can tell you is if you are looking to produce a podcast for your business, your organization, whatever it is that you're doing, Deft Communications can help you with that. So check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. The producer of the John of All Trades podcast, 
two new podcast projects coming up this fall, and I can't wait to reveal them to you. So if you're looking to produce your own podcast, hit me up. Now then, this is episode 187 of the John of All Trades podcast, featuring Eric Yoakum, the founder, the creator, the head honcho of Two Rivers Coffee, awesome spot in Arvada, and his episodes start right now. Uh, quarter of a mile from here okay and uh we're in your current roasting facility right <laughs> closet yeah and uh so like i'll, I'll take a photo of this because sure. this will go on the blog but uh so we're you said it's like a 100 square feet yeah it's, i think we just measured it for a guy that was asking it's like nine by ten and a half or something so we just rounded it to about okay. 100 square feet yeah <laughs> and so how much coffee can you roast in here at a time uh, right now we roast on this little five K, uh, five kilo roaster and it, we can do, so it, it does about seven pounds at a time, which okay. is about four, uh, four of those batches an hour. So, okay. I mean, we can output quite a bit of coffee out of this if we were really trying, but, uh, after a while it just doesn't really pay for itself very well with all the labor. <laughs> so we're in our next roasting facility in our new roasting facility that we're, we're, we're uh, building right now. We're at 1,100 square feet, and we're going to a 15 kilo, so we'll triple. Well, actually, in that machine, we'll almost quadruple our capacity. Wow. So it should be good. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's badass. So this is Eric Yoakum, and you are the creator, founder, head honcho, yeah. Two Rivers Coffee. Yeah. Big uh, big shout-out to CJ Latham for hooking this up. What up, uh, CJ? <laughs> you guys do... Uh, you're the ones who do the pre-ride cold brew, right? Yeah, so, so CJ's doing the pre-ride cold brew. We're supplying the coffee okay. for him to do that. Um, it's been, it was kind of his brainchild for a long right. time. And, uh, but he needs, we've, he we've needs someone of, who does coffee, right? Yeah, and we test it out for him to make sure it's good coffee. So. Yeah, well, sure. And I've had it. It's good. I, as I expressed to you, like caffeine doesn't do good things to me. Yeah. But I had that. It was really, really tasty. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was flying high that morning. Right. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. But I uh, really, really liked it. So. You guys roasting your own stuff here, is that unusual? Is that atypical or is that more common now? You know, it was. That's a, I mean, it's a long story. I can give you real long answers here. But um, about eight and a half years ago when we first started, we took over a failing coffee shop. Um, okay. It's public knowledge. Um, Novo, um, who was a great roaster downtown Denver, yeah. um, really helped us out. And really, they were running a little, a little retail shop here. Um, it wasn't doing so great. And mm-hmm. so I had an opportunity to buy it out, so we did. And at that point, specialty coffee, uh, craft coffee, wasn't really a thing. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't well, really a thing in Denver. There was a few of us. Right. Was this um, like 2010? Yeah, it was 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, May of 2010 is when we started. Uh, so there was a few of us back then. Uh, I love telling the story because it's it was kind of, it's kind of funny to think back because we really didn't know what we were what we were doing. Um, <laughs> I've heard that before on this show. Yeah. Yeah. We we had kind of no clue. Um, luckily, you know, everybody had a little bit more of a clue about you know one thing, and so we'd all just share ideas. Um, and so there's still like the roots of specialty coffee in Denver are like a lot of camaraderie, a lot of friendship. Okay. <clears throat> Nobody's really, you know, taking the other guy down. It's so not much. super cutthroat. No, and it's awesome um, because of that. So we started out um, serving exclusively exclusively Novo beans. Uh, they are a phenomenal roaster. Um, but after a while, we just decided an opportunity to really kind of move into uh, other realms of coffee. And as you kind of geek out on coffee you, sure. you kind of get it gets deeper and deeper and then you start learning about coffee at origin and you start learning about uh you know you, you start learning farmers names and you start <laughs> learning all these intricate details of the complexities of the molecular structures of coffee and so right. you kind of want to as a coffee geek you kind of want to affect each one of those things so uh in 2013 we started roasting kind of dabbling right. around we bought this little guy how did it go uh you definitely burn some beans at first <laughs> There's definitely some uh, there's definitely some roasts that go down the drain, which is a bummer going to the compost. But oh yeah, uh, but that's kind of the learning process. It's kind of awesome. So back then, 2013, there were a, there were a handful of other roasters uh, uh, in Denver. The trend like that, there were a few of us sort of uh, trailblazers that were right. kind of setting the pace for what specialty coffee was. And um, there was a handful of other roasters. Huckleberry was around at that point. Novo, Corvus. Boxcar. Boxcar was around. Definitely a handful of others, right. but not so many as there are today. So when we first started, when we first started roasting, it wasn't super commonplace for for every cafe to have their own roasting, and, you know, every shop to be whatever. But now it's coming much more commonplace. So you're definitely seeing a lot of right. uh, a lot of shops 
buying a small roaster, doing their own roasting in-house, which has a lot of value. Well, I mean, the the thing that strikes me is, as sort of a craft beer geek, mm. the ascent strikes me as sort of parallel in a yeah, lot of ways. for sure. Because, you know, back in the day, you know, think back to, like, the 80s or 90s, coffee was just, like, coffee, right? Right. And, like, the gold standard was, what, Dunkin' Donuts, which we didn't even right. have out here? Right, Like, totally. pe- people lost their minds over Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Right. Uh, and then, you know, then there was Starbucks. So right. back, it was just beer. You know, it was all like light, fizzy lagers. It was, and like the good stuff was import lagers, which, right. you know, now you drink that and you go, wow, this isn't a green bottle. It tastes kind of skunked, like kind of weird. It's right. weird to think this was Premier. But now you've got so many brewers and what you described to me about the camaraderie and the lack of being cutthroat and stuff like that. Uh, reminds me of what I hear from the graft brewing community, right? which is, is really cool. And I wonder if at some point there will be an inflection point where, you know, we're sort of at market saturation where, you know, it, it almost has to be where the business has to evolve into a different vibe. Sure. Have, have you started to see that at all or is it still pretty cool? Oh, man, that's a great question. And it's actually really good timing uh, because I think there's there there have been at least I've been involved in um, a handful of conversations just recently about this exact thing. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, I think that the camaraderie of of the coffee industry in Denver is something special. Mm-hmm. Not to say other uh, other cities don't have it, but I have traveled to other cities and it's not quite the same. Right. Um, and maybe because it's my hometown, you get a little bit of you know hometown pride. Um, yeah, a little rose-colored glasses, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, I went to L.A. years and years ago and to check out the coffee scene, and I was really disappointed at first. It's really great now, uh, but I was like, oh, L.A. is going to be the gold standard for like cool coffee vibe. And I was like, no, Denver's way better, yeah. um, which was really cool. You take a lot of pride in that. Um, but... Like I said, you know, before there were a handful of roasters. All those roasters are wholesaling their coffees to all these shops that are serving, uh, serving their coffee. You know, and it was really typical to have a coffee shop that was that was a multi roaster. They carried four or five or six different right. roasters or rotate whatever. Well, I even think about I interviewed early on in this show Rooster and Moon down yeah. in Golden oh, Triangle. Yeah. Totally. And he talked about he wasn't going to roast his own coffee because he's like, look, there's so many good ones here. Oh yeah. He's like, what I sling here is vibe. Right. And so you've got coffee shops almost borrowing the vibe right uh, or borrowing the quality to enhance their own vibe right right absolutely and that, that's a, that's a really important point and i'll, and I'll get to that uh, as a part of this answer i guess but uh yeah so now now like there's a bunch of shops that are roasting their own coffee and so there's a lot of competition mm-hmm. and so we're recognizing that and that's, that's a good healthy part of business good healthy competition and so the conversations i've had recently um, with different shop owners um, and roasteries, they're you know everyone everyone's kind of fighting for the same wholesale clients, but everyone's trying to do like at least in Denver, everyone's really trying to do that in a really uh, healthy, friendly manner, like ethical way. Yeah, sort of like recognizing like, hey, we know this is just business. We're not going to like right. come and like like kick you down, right? And you know like give you a bad name, but we're also going to like try and offer something that's better and for me uh, it's up to me to offer the best product oh well, sure it's not my fault if i don't or no. it's not their fault if i don't <laughs> offer the best the best product you right know? you you have agency to change your situation and it's right. not like what i hear from some like really small craft brewers who are like hey look you're buying a keg from us for what like 90 bucks or right. whatever um ab InBev comes in and it's like oh is that an amber like hey you should put avalanche on and we'll sell it to you for 45 right and it's like that's really like predatory and like totally. they have an economy of scale which totally. is really sort of uncool like i mean yeah it's it's capitalism but it's capitalism in like it's most almost like grotesque form totally you know what i mean yeah so you know is there like a is there like an ab inbev equivalent or are y'all just kind of fighting against starbucks um not to be arrogant but we're in a different league than starbucks for sure oh and sure I, and i wouldn't say that I mean, no, but I mean that's sure. that's the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, right? Right. Because right. I mean it's on every freaking corner. Totally. Yeah, uh, it's true. I mean you can't deny that. I mean first of all, you have to give credit for Starbucks setting the tone for coffee shop culture in right. in uh, at least kind of paving the way for that, and then you know others have improved upon it. But um, you know Starbucks is a different beast as far as as far as specialty. But they are the they, they may, maybe they're the cores, uh, right? Or you know they're the Miller Cooler cores of <laughs> of the industry, and they're going after the big the little guys. Not directly are, are we are we really competing with Starbucks? But 
um, some of the other specialty coffee shops that are growing or com- companies that are growing mm-hmm. um, are able to. They're just able to do good business. Mm-hmm. They're able to offer, you know, ha- they have bigger buying power, so they're able to offer better prices. And that's something to aspire to. It's something that, you sure. know, can be frustrating at times if you let it, but. At least, at least we as Two Rivers haven't gotten to that place. Sure, there's times where we're like, "Dang it, <laughs> those guys can buy more coffee than we can at cheaper prices because they're bigger." But yeah, uh, that's. I mean, that's. It's kind of something to aspire to, and sure. that's. You know, that's something that uh, having more players in the game has really been beneficial, hmm. uh, because you're you're reaching a gen- like you're reaching a general population. You're not just reaching right. a really specialty niche that's that's finite you're kind of reaching an infinite population and there's still a lot of garbage coffee drinkers out there that are yet to, yet to, uh, you know, shift to the other side. They haven't quite seen the light yet. Yeah. And so we're, you know, there's still plenty of those, those folks out there that we're trying to, you know, educate and stuff. And so if we all act as kind of like all of us independents act as a bigger voice, you're like, yeah, you're like ambassadors, right? If we all can say the same thing to each other, you know, people down in Aurora aren't going to be drinking my coffee because they're they're not driving here all every day. Right. So they're not my they're not my they're not my first clientele. So if we can recommend them go to a shop in their own, oh, in their totally, own yeah. place because we're you know they're equally as quality or whatever, then we hope and it does happen that those folks in Aurora are going to also recommend people come to our shop when they're in our neighborhood. Right. So it kind of it, yeah, the camaraderie has been really beneficial. For business. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of doing this in reverse, but that's Mm. okay. Sometimes it's good to throw the playbook out the window. You mentioned it's something to aspire to. Mm. Let's say Two Rivers gets to the point where you look backwards and you go, okay, we did it. Right. And we're here now. Right. Like, so, and I know the goalposts are always moving because you set incremental goals. Like, hey, let's open a shop. Like, let's actually get this thing started. Right. Uh, Let's start. Um, you know, having some wholesale clients, like right. let's not sell everything just out of our one shop. Right. Let's say down the line, you look back, what is your sort of ultimate vision for success at this point? That's a really great question. Um, it's, I was just having a conversation with a friend about this the other day, mm-hmm. uh, who is also in the coffee industry and she's done amazing things in the coffee industry. And we we're kind of chatting about, we're, we're chatting about like solar ultimate vision and you know, where do you, when do you say stop? Where do you, you know, whatever. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, eight years ago when we were pouring latte art and making your latte look super pretty, <laughs> that was innovative. That yeah. was like, that was blowing people's minds. It still does. It's still our standard. It's always going to be, uh, but it's not, it's, it's commonplace now, sure. which is cool. It's awesome that it, it, it's become that, but we have to then innovate, you know, we have to then continue to innovate while hanging on to our, our roots and what was important, yeah, the core of who you are. Right. And so, um, my friend I was talking to, her name's L from Amethyst in Denver. She, we were sort of chatting and it had been mentioned like, ah, oh, you know, we're not, it's like, not like we're changing the world with coffee. And then over the course of our conversation, we were like, wait a minute, like we affect our own world. We only have we only have, you know, uh, so much energy in our, in our lives and so many hours in the day and so far of a reach that if we're affecting our neighborhood with our coffee and our shop and the vibes and whatever, then that's going to be super important. So, yeah. so yes, we have big plans. I'll get to those. But what's, what's foundational is that we're making sure that people that walk in our doors that are coming here every single day that they're, that they're just really genuinely cared, cared for. Uh, and we do that by serving good coffee. We do, do that by having great customer service as best we can. But we also do that by being human and being with those people in their everyday lives and right. them, them with us. We have to really hold on to that because we're not going to always be able to have a new innovation every single week or keep up with, you know, the latest PR campaign sure. that's coming out or whatever. So for us, you know, we, we are really focused on, on wanting to do beautiful spaces that people come, they just know that life is good there, you know, yeah. and that, uh, that they get great service and they get great coffee, they get great food, they get whatever we're doing. We're just doing it to the best of our abilities. Beyond that, um, you know, I would like to, you know, five years from now, look back and, and see a couple, a couple other shops, maybe some other concepts that kind of spin oh, off of coffee. Yeah. I've always got a bazillion things running around in my head. So if I get the opportunity to try them, I will. Totally. Um, but I don't really see two rivers becoming, you know, 30 shops 
at least not under my tutelage, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, becoming this 30 shop kind of behemoth or, yeah. you know, semi behemoth. I, I see it maybe becoming a couple shops cool. and, and creating sustainable, you know, lifestyle for myself and my staff and, you know, changing people's lives in the community. It's hard to quantify, I guess. It's, I, I mean, it really is. People always ask me, so my day job, like deft communications is my company. Okay. And, uh, people are like, what's your vision for deft? And I'm like, Look, as long as I do well enough at this to not have to go crawling back to a corporate gig, right. like I'm happy. Right. Like, that's that's my ultimate goal right now. Right. Like, I I don't have world conquering sort of goals. Right. And so I want to come back to something that you said that really struck me is like, are we changing the world? No. Like it when you frame it up like that, right. it, it feels too daunting, right? Right. But in your own way you are because I think about not only like the vibe of the neighborhood, like right. people come in, they, right. they have a place to go, they recognize it. But in terms of the practices of you guys, the way you buy coffee. Right. right? So like fair trade practices. Right. Things like that. Um, you know, sustainable farming. All right. that. If you as someone who is buying this demand that, yeah. that is affecting change at, at a different point in the supply chain. For sure. And so if more people do that, then you really affect real change. But, right. you know, you can only be in control of so much. Right. And so, but to that end, you're contributing to the greater good. In right. Way. Well, and it's so easy I think the important part is you can't get down on yourself for doing the best you can in, in what you have. Right. And that might grow and you might affect a, a, uh, a bigger influence of people at some point. But I think it's really easy, especially when, as you scroll through Instagram be like, Oh man, that guy's living the best life in the world. Yeah. And he's got 38 zillion followers and I've got seven, <laughs> uh, to, to, to compare yourself. I'm like, Oh, I'm not changing the world. Right. But it was really refreshing the other day to have that conversation and like come totally. to conclusion after that being said, like, ah, oh, we're not, it's not like we're changing the world. And then we're like, wait a minute, we're changing our world. We're changing yeah. our community. And we have an absolute responsibility to do that really, really well, mm-hmm. maybe a bigger responsibility. Cause that's like really genuine relationships rather than like the contrived relationship yeah. or whatever you can do on social media. So that's part of the importance. And that's, it's been hard to hang on to it sometimes well, as we, sure. as we grow, you you know, you're always like grasping for your roots and making sure that they're still intact. But, um, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd say if we can hold on to that stuff, uh, remain a respectable, uh, company, uh, with, with those ethical practices in mind, always building on those things, then yeah, I would say that that's success for us. Well, yeah. And then you look for opportunity where you can, right. Uh, You know, it's important to sort of a, keep your head down and run your own race. Like if you're comparing yourself against others like that, that's a fool's errand, right? You're, You're always going to be dissatisfied. Right. So, I mean, focus on what you can do, grow where you can, right. But Look up for opportunities and and take them when when you can seize them. Oh, totally. That's all anyone can ask for. For sure. And so, I mean, yeah, that's really cool. The fact that (laughs) the thing that's mind-blowing to me is because I'm an entrepreneur too. Yeah. Right? But I have no employees. Right. I have no desire to have employees. Right. I'm terrified of the idea of being responsible for someone's rent. Right. And so... It's good for you to know that. (laughs) That's that's called good boundaries. Yeah. That's that's self-awareness. Yeah. Like, that... I. The idea of that gives me anxiety in, in in a very unhealthy way. Right. But the fact that you are like you're a job creator. Right. Right. You have a payroll. You have right. people that depend on you. Right. And that all stems from doing good customer service. Like totally. if the customers don't come in, there's no employees. Right. right? There's no shop. There's right. no nothing. Right. So it all kind of comes from this one thing. But there are ancillary benefits associated with that. For sure. And anytime anyone is sort of taking on employees, I am immensely like in awe of them. I so, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've lucked out to have just an insanely great people, so it's been probably easier than well than in most horror stories. It, well, in a lot of ways, I mean, depending on what kind of company you're running, like people are always talking about, like I can't get any good people. It's like, well, yeah, you're a dick. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. you you yeah you attract what you are. Yeah, it's like don't it, be that. You'll be you'll be just fine. Like be be what you want your employees to be. Right. Totally. You, like if you live that, good people will come to you and they'll right. stay loyal to you. Right. So it's like, yeah, I can't get any good people. Well, it's like you're kind of not good people. Right. So, right. But I want to go back to something. So like sure. going back to the origin, you said uh, Novo had this space initially. Uh-huh. And they weren't, you know, they weren't doing so well. Like they, it wasn't resonating. Right. You had the opportunity to buy it. Right. How did that opportunity arise? Yeah. Well, let me, let me first say Novo's phenomenal company. And they're oh, doing yeah. great. And if they, if they listen to this, they know that I love them. Um, they, they had, a, yeah, but they it, had, it, yeah. you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. 
sure. Like they, I'm not I'm not casting aspersions on no, them. Totally. No value judgment. No nothing. Yeah, I think part of the story, uh, even my story is, and how this came about is part of Novo's story is that Novo struggled not because they weren't a great company or serving great coffee. I think they were they were trying to trailblaze in in a pretty new yeah. um, realm. And um, just too strong a headwind. Well, you're doing it in the burbs. Um, They they had bought out a a failed shop, really, that was here for years. And they had an older clientele that um, that was, you know, pretty much stuck on on bottomless cups of Folgers for 99 cents. But that's not a business model you can grow on. And so Novo came in, introduced specialty coffee. Uh, to this clientele, and that was just a challenge. It was a huge challenge because people right. were like, "What's this coffee that doesn't taste like burned rubbers?" <laughs> you know, like like shoes, and like it's disgusting. Uh, they just didn't like it, and they were they were stuck in their ways. And so they they were doing that while becoming a successful wholesaler nationwide, uh, and trying to do this retail thing um, sort of on the side. Um, and it just it, it was a challenge. So I definitely see that I was a regular guest of theirs. Oh, okay. Um, and so I you know grew up a mile from here. And and this just became my daily stop when okay. I saw. Go ahead. Before we get there, yeah. Uh, question for you, it, and it, I, I'm sorry, I have to frame this up through beer. Sure. But people always tell me they're like, I really hate IPAs, and I go, yeah. Well, yeah, I get it. I mean, the first time you drink it, it tastes like a mouthful of dandelions, right? Right. Like it's it's a super strong, super bitter, bitter flavor, right? Um, but there'll be a gateway IPA, like I guarantee, sure. or, or there's a gateway craft beer, and for yeah. a lot of people, that's like Blue Moon. Or right. like fat tire, right. you know, it's like it's just bursting with flavor compared to the normal, you know, Bud or Coors or right. whatever they're they're drinking. So, um, it's something that breaks through, right? Yeah. So at some point there had to be coffee mm. where it just broke through for you. Absolutely. Do you, was, do you remember yeah. what the gateway was? Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was no at Novo. That was okay. At it was this, Novo. That was at this shop before it was mine. Uh, Novo was serving and it was called an Amaro Gallo Sundried. Okay. And that was a natural process Ethiopian that literally tasted like. Just blueberry jam and like buttered muffins. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And for them to say, for for me to taste that and go, what is this? <laughs> what is happening? I, and I wasn't really a huge coffee drinker, and I'd kind of like gone in there to like uh, you know go read or whatever, and um, or, or a meeting or something. Yeah. Um, you had like some and, other reason yeah, to come in here, and they did a great job. They were like, hey, you should try this coffee, and I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess. And they're like, don't put any cream and sugar in it. At least at first, yeah, and, and just taste it. And I tasted it. And I was, I was immediately like, "What in the world?" Because I didn't have any. I had, I didn't know coffee was a fruit to begin with, <laughs> right? You know, you don't know what it is until you know, and then you're told, and you're like, your mind's blown. So I had this natural process Ethiopian, and so for the first time, my mind was like just wide open yeah. to what coffee could be. And I, you keep referencing beer. I was in the fine dining industry before this, okay. And so I know wine quite well, and I'm a huge lover of wine and huge lover of its complexities. Um, I am too. I know beer better, but yeah, like right. I also love wine. Right. And so you know there are some parallels. It's not perfect, but there are some pe- parallels. Obviously, it's a beverage, so that's a parallel mm-hmm. in itself. But you know the complexities of wine, I knew really well, and I knew that you know the terroir, you know, oh, the, the you know that the altitude and every every aspect was right. you know what was in the dirt, what you know uh, varietal of grape, you know all of that stuff and terroir. Terroir is way underrated too, oh, totally. in terms of like totally. it, it really comes down to that for sure. And as I've as we've gotten to know, as I've gotten to know coffee uh, over the years, you, you recognize that that has everything. You know what happens to the coffee in the ground has everything to, to do with right. what it, its potential is in the cup. And so anyway, I'm served this coffee and it tastes like like blueberry jam <laughs> and buttered muffins. It was yeah. delicious. I was like, what in the heck? What did you guys do to this? And they're yeah. like, oh, we just, it was grown right. It was processed right. It was stored right. It was, it was roasted right. It was brewed yeah. right. All of those things done right. This is what coffee can actually taste like. And you're like, holy cow. And to give you a little, little fact, wine, which we think is a, is a very complex thing, has about 180 different chemical compounds that make up its, its molecular structure, mm-hmm. all of which have potential for flavor or aroma. Sure. Um, uh, coffee has over 900 oh, of those things. So you just by by sheer numbers alone, like yeah. coffee has a far greater potential to be this complex, um, you know, tasty beverage. So that was my gateway was this blueberry muffin kind of <laughs> coffee. And it was incredible. Wow. And what you're talking about too, I talked to someone who uh, worked in the weed industry. Yeah. And so like cannabis in terms of the soil, the light, 
the you know the the type of plant that it is right. to where it's stored. So like you have seed to sale tags, yeah. like just these like QR codes that yeah. are on every single like flower that you buy. Right. Um, but something can go wrong at every step of that process, right? right? I mean, what you're describing with coffee, it was grown right, it was stored right, it was right, et cetera, et cetera, right? right? Yeah. Um, that's a lot of potential points right. for something sort of funky to happen. So the fact that oh, it, it has to be taken care of at, at that many steps is remarkable. Right. right. Oh, I can I can talk for eight hours on that if you want. Uh, Do you have like horror stories, or um, or is it not so much horror stories, but just like, wow, uh, I didn't anticipate that this could go wrong. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think as I was learning about coffee when I first took over, um, and I, I jumped in from. So the, the, I'll give you the short story of how I actually took over. Okay. Uh, yeah. This was my, my, my shop that I came into every day. And, um, I walked in one Saturday and, um, one of the founders of Novo Herb, uh, was in there and he's like, Eric, do you have a second? And I was like, uh, yeah, I got a minute. Let's chat. And like two hours later, he basically was like, Hey, you should buy the shop from us. <laughs> and I was like, thanks Herb, but not going to happen. And th- I had like three and a half weeks before they were going to be closing and I you know, they needed somebody to step in, yeah. but they were just like, Hey, you know, this community needs some, you know, it needs some love. Like this shot made some love. We were thinking about you and thought you could do a good job. So we want to wow. give you this opportunity. What were you doing at that point? I was running a fine dining restaurant okay. up in Westminster. So like running it, were you like the GM? Or? I was GM. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was inside the Weston hotel. Oh yeah. It was like three meal restaurant. That one off like th- uh, 36. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That Weston, like it looks out of place out there. It totally does. Cause it's, <laughs> it's yeah. like right along the highway Yeah, and it's like this big gorgeous tower and yeah. you're like, what the hell is this Weston doing out here? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I've, and I've had a lot of business meetings there. It's, yeah. I mean, it's a lovely place. Yeah. Yeah, so I was doing that, and I was I was loving it. I you know I was love I love hospitality. I was loving the fine dining industry, um, everything that had to do with it. And so, you know, I, they basically basically Herb was like, "Dude, you should do this." And I was like, "I don't think so." And then about I had my mom was like, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea." And I was like, "What, mom? No, like that's not no." No, you're supposed to say no. You're yeah. supposed to be the voice of reason. Here. Yeah, I had a couple friends that were like, "You should do that." Here's like a thousand bucks if you need it. And I was like, "What? Like thousand bucks isn't a lot of money, but still." But like, hey, I, I a thousand bucks I didn't have before. Right, exactly. They're like, you should do it. Pay us back whenever. And I was like, okay. Wow. So yeah, like three and a half weeks later, I found myself owning a shop, <laughs> knowing nothing about coffee, except that my wine language translated, except that I liked it. Yeah. I knew that I wanted it, wanted to be the best we could. And I just decided to translate my wine language to the, what I was tasting in the coffee. Right. It, it's almost like learning a romance language. Right. Like when you learn Spanish, you hear Italian, you go, oh, that's pretty close. Like I can pick yeah. up a lot of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot like that. And then so I knew how to taste coffee uh, or I, I knew how to distinguish flavors and discern mm-hmm. flavor. Yeah. You had a palate. Yeah. So then it was like trying to learn, okay, how do we not mess that up in every, you know, in <laughs> pulling a shot of espresso or pouring a cup of coffee? How do we not mess it up? How we do it? How do we do it the best? And then how, like, where do those flavors come from? And then yeah. you start learning about this terroir and like all these other, you know, sure. uh, aspects. And so I think, so some of the horror stories coming back to that question, we're learning, learning why coffee wasn't good before. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, why haven't we been doing it like this, this whole time? <laughs> And it was, that's the nexus of every great idea though. Isn't yeah. It? It's like, like, why haven't we always done it this, this is way? a lot easier than we, th- <laughs> yeah, like this can be so much better. And you know, that, that comes down to like, you know, the way that we approach coffee now is, um, is through ethical buying practices and as best as we can. Um, but, Coffee was traded as it still is a commodity. It's the second most traded commodity in the world, next to oil. Right. Um, and in the commodity industry, there's you know there's twenty business. There's twenty middlemen. Um, sure. I mean, sometimes you, le- far less than that. Sometimes, but if uh, if you've seen trading places, right? You know, they're uh, they're trying to corner the frozen orange juice market. Right. You know. Right. Totally. <laughs> the Dukes. Yeah. So that was it. Was interesting to figure out that you know the reason that coffee was this sort of garbage product before, um, compared to what I, you know, oh, I yeah, now no, tasting, yeah, yeah. um, or, or just this burn bitter drink that was, a that was an ingredient in a milkshake. It was because it was such a commodity and it was because all these lots just got, you know, lumped in together. Right. You paid a commodity price, whatever the, whatever the commodity market was told coffee that it was worth that day. That's how much <laughs> the farmers got paid. And it was all just really generic. And so you get these, you get these coffees that are, that come off the tree that were, you know, have a lot of rotten fun 
fungus and mold and bug damage and uh, sticks and stones and you know un, you know underripe beans or overripe beans or whatever like, got caught in the machine. Yeah, right? just whatever it is. You just they just pick you know uh, everything off the tree. So it's it's treated it's treated almost like no differently than I don't know soybeans or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah it's just all like thrown in there. Yeah. And uh, and then that's sold at a price and then everybody roasts that. And so what was happening in in my opinion it was uh, you had all these. Um, these defects in coffee mm. and you're going to taste those defects. And so to not taste those defects, you burn it. And so you <laughs> burn it to a maximum level to a, you know, to a palatable level. And then you call that some sort of thing like French roast. Um, and so you can have a coffee from Guatemala or Sumatra or Brazil. Or oh yeah. You get a map Ethiopia. on the wall too. Yeah. This is our map that all the coffee, all the places we get coffee or we have gotten coffee. Anyway, sure. you can have coffee from any one of these places um, that if it was, if it was grown properly and if it was, if it was held, uh, you know, uh, uh, by itself, it was, if it was separated and whatever, if it was treated properly is going to have its amazing distinct characteristics. Sure. You throw that all, you lump it all together in a commodity, you know, yeah. pile, and then you roast it to a certain level. You can have any of those coffees become French roast, <laughs> right. you know? And so you get tasting notes of like tar and ash and huh. you know maybe a little bit of caramely business but it's probably burned caramel or something like that everyone's favorite tasting note tar yeah <laughs> mm, that's delicious um that's that's real though uh we've we've moved far away from that yeah in, in the specialty industry um but it was re- recognizing like oh like we got to buy really good coffee and so at first we were buying it from really good roasters and then when we became our own roaster mm. uh we started roasting it for ourselves and then we had to figure out like how are we going to buy green you got to go further down the supply oh, man it was and it's a, it's it's still a challenge but it was a huge challenge at first is that weird still. like i mean you mentioned like having relationships with indiv- individual farmers yeah like how does that interact with the fact that it's traded like a commodity because you mentioned oil yeah i happen to know oil it's it's not like people uh, can be in their house like with their natural gas bill it's like i want natural gas from <laughs> yeah. bp right or right. from anadarko right you know like right like, uh, i'll take that one instead of that one yeah, yeah like, like i want it to come from this company i source small batch oil <laughs> Harvested yeah. from the fields of yeah, it doesn't happen in coffee. Um, Small batch oil. <laughs> yeah, that's the next thing. It's the next wave. Yeah, uh, sounds hot. We're starting it right now. In coffee, there's what uh, there was. There were companies, um, kind of big companies in this in the specialty industry, especially big companies now. Things like uh, like Stumptown, Blue oh, Bottle, yeah. um, com- uh, Counterculture, uh, and a couple others that in Intelligentsia. Uh, sort of were pioneers for specialty coffee as a whole in the United States. Mm-hmm. They they started sourcing coffee in a way that was that that they they kind of coined a term called direct trade, mm-hmm. kind of going above and beyond fair trade standards. Fair trade is a good baseline standard, at, or at least it has good intention. Um, but a lot of times the, the money doesn't really actually trickle down to the farmers, which we've experienced. But they started. You know, they kind of went to the farmers and said, "Hey, you're growing really good coffee. If you don't put it, if you just don't lump it up, lump it in with everybody else's, and you separate it, and we bring it back, and, you, and it's processed properly, um, we can give you instead of you know a dollar twenty on the commodities market per pound or ninety eight cents what it hit last week or something, uh, we can give you. But what if we give you two two forty? What if yeah. we double that? What if we triple it? Yeah. We'll get it back because we can roast it, sell it at upcharge. Like it's yeah, better yeah. for everybody. And so they sort of started that." That sort of buying practice, which really set an example for what mm. can happen, and so it's it's circumnavigating the the commodities market, gotcha. making relationships with directly with the farmers and giving them another outlet for sure. the sale of their coffee, um, which is a beautiful buying practice. Yeah, it, it, when done right, it's not always perfect, um, and it certainly is coming into question a lot more mm. um, because I think that it can be taken advantage of, but. Um, or take it for granted. Um, but yeah, now we're, we're going through, uh, a lot of our coffee is sourced through buyers that have relationships, uh, whether big buyers or small buyers have relationships with, with farmers. Uh, and they might bring in a lot of, um, you know, commodity coffee as well. We, one of our big, big, um, uh, suppliers is called cafe imports. They're out of Minnesota. Okay. They have everything from like your super cheap coffee that's going to probably become instant coffee, you know, mm. huge batches of that to like super really small micro lots that right. they've made these relationships and sourced all of that. And there's room for all of that on the market for sure. 
that's our main buying practice is using, okay. using people that have those relationships. And then as much as we can, um, and we've just started a relationship with some, uh, farmers down in Yepocapa, Guatemala, wow. um, just, just on the other side of the volcano from Antigua. Oh, wow. All right. Um, we've gone down there and we have, um, a guy that works down there with those farmers introduced us to those farmers and he's helping us and he's the, he's the, uh, importer. So he's working with this farmers co-op group we were able to go down there and meet the farmers taste their coffees straight like literally we brought our little sample roaster down there roasted coffees straight from the trees um and we're able to kind of sample what was going on and one it gives us insight into what kind of coffees are available and uh, but it also gives us the opportunity to kind of negotiate with the farmers directly yeah um uh, but it also gives us an opportunity to, to kind of really see that there's a lot of mutuality between them and us. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not just us, you know, Westerners trying to go down and save the world right. um, by by showing them how you know we can just you know buy all their coffee because we can't. Um, but we they, they we we they're a small business and we're a small business. Sure. If we can support each other, we can help each other grow. So. Um, it's been really valuable to start those relationships. No, and I mean, that makes really good sense to me. And it's funny, if you look at this map and you look at some of the countries on this map, not always the most like stable governments or oh, like, yeah. ethical business practices. Uh-uh. Um, it's got to be challenging, especially because coffee is grown in uh, very specific parts of the world. Right. I mean, you're, you're talking about commodities. Right. That's, that's true of everything from like orange juice to, I mean, virtually any agricultural crop, yep. you know, that's, that's sort of dependent. Uh, it's also true of oil and gas, right? You have to go where it is coal right. diamonds, like whatever. Sure. Um, and sometimes those places have mitigating factors that have to be challenging, uh, in terms of the, the externalities of doing business there. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, yeah, Yepa Kappa, where we're working, um, with those farmers, they just got a paved road. Oh geez. Like, okay. I think it was two or three years ago. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, it sure. might be different, but what that did for them, I'm not going to check your work here. Eric. Yeah, you should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything I've said is a lie. Uh, but that, I mean, just that alone, that infrastructure yeah. alone gives them different accessibility over and around the mountain that they are blocked by the big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that gives them different accessibility to to get their coffee elsewhere. Where you know, in a community like that, you know, in, even just in that small community, the guy with the truck holds all the power, <laughs> right. and there might only be one or two guys with the truck, and those guys might say, "Hey, I'll, you know, I'll take your coffee across the mountain to the processing facility or the plant or wherever it needs to go, you know, for and I'll you know I'll buy it at you know X amount of, of yeah. dollars." But then that guy's marking it up to the next guy who the next guy, the next guy. And, and that might be fine. That's fine. Everybody needs a job. But what does, what has happened in Guatemala is, um, you have these, these guys with a truck, um, called coyotes. They call them coyotes. <laughs> and they're literally just coming in like trying to get, they, they know that the farmers can't get their own coffee over the mountain. So they say, Hey, I'll give you a, you know, I'll buy your coffee for, for you. And then they go, you know, and, they, and that might be the only, the farmer's only outlet to sell that coffee. Right. And they might go, okay, well, I'll sell it to you for 80 cents a pound because that's all I'll get right now hmm. um, when they're – even when their uh, production cost might be 90 cents a pound. So they're taking a loss. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah. And Guatemala's government is kind of shaky right now, you know, always. But um, that's caused some corruption throughout the, the sure. chain. The, the farmers that we, we worked with, they're all set up to be fair trade certified. They're, the whole co-op. All set up to like receive fair trade prices, mm-hmm. and every time that they've you know been told um, that they're going to get going to get a fair trade price for their coffee, um, they've never seen a single dime because oh, it just geez. doesn't trickle down. Fair trade only goes so far, right? Um, and it can it absolutely can have to do with just the remoteness of where they're at, uh, you know the you know w- whatever limiting factors. I mean the, it the is. vagaries of the surrounding sure. community. Yeah, it, totally. I mean, who knows? Like, yeah. There's there's a billion different things, and I think what's what I like doing about this podcast so much is coffee is one of those things where like it just it's sort of everywhere, right? Yeah. But the the fact that it actually got to us and we can pay, you know, what like what I mean, what's a stand, what's a cup of coffee today? Yeah. Uh, we're charging like three fifty, yeah. three three fifty. So yeah. for like three dollars and fifty cents, I mean, how much of that is just raw transportation? Oh you know? right, you know yeah. the fact that it got here and that we can enjoy it, yeah. pretty much any time we want, yeah. That's remarkable. So you shed a light on what that process is like. Right. We're all better for it. It's right. like, whoa, okay. I, right. Let's 
let's oh, let's open ourselves up to sure. what everything that's going on. Right. Yeah. It's basically basically magic. <laughs> right. How it gets here. It's uh, like a miracle. Right. It is. It totally. Yeah. It's yeah. It does. It continues to create challenges for us, though. You sure. Know, in in the fact that we're always looking for good coffees. Yeah. And you know, if these farmers don't grow a great coffee and we don't like it one year, does that mean we're just going to like sever our relationship with them? Mm. You know, and that's a that's a challenging factor because we don't yeah. want to, and we would say we won't, but when that coffee, you know, yeah. if that coffee doesn't score super well that year, are we going to ditch them? And that's, yeah. That's, that does happen, and we're trying to figure out how, how to not make that well, happen. Well, everyone answers to someone, right? Right. I mean, you guys are answering ultimately to your customers. Right. If there's a batch of coffee that everyone's like, oh, yeah, not really feeling this one. Right. Like, there's a note in there that's just off. It, right. Again, to come back to beer, it's like the Simcoe hop. Right. S- Simcoe hops taste like dirt to me. Like, right. I, I just, if it has Simcoe in it, I'm like, I'm probably not going to enjoy this yeah. beer. So it's like, if, if a brewery is brewing a lot of Simcoe, I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm probably... Not going to show up that often just because right. this ain't my palate. Right. So, I mean, that's that's bound to happen right. with coffee because you're getting all these different kinds. You talked about, uh, you know, blueberry jam and butter right. muffins. And, like, there's so many different types of flavors that you can get out of coffee. Right. And, you know, some of those flavors ain't going to resonate with everyone. Right. Absolutely. And that's a, I mean, that's a risk we take. But I think it's also a reason that we want to continue to tell the story of coffee yeah. to our guests and to the general public. And we want everybody to know. Uh, because... Because there is value in in how it got here. There is value, you know. Obviously, there's value in the people's people's lives that grew the coffee. Certainly, and there, you know, maybe you're going to be as a consumer, you're going to be a little bit more forgiving about your coffee if you know, like, hey, this year, mm-hmm. Two Rivers got a 85 points co- scoring coffee instead of 87, and it's not quite as you know peach jammy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a little less peach, it's a little more apricot. That's fine. I'd, I'll, I'll drink it, but. <laughs> It's up to us to educate on those things, yeah. and it's also up to us to you know to you know incentive pay, pay those farmers well so they have the resources that they, that they need yeah. because you know a thousand bucks can go a really long way down there oh, to help sure. them you know help them build the facilities they need or whatever. So yeah, um, it's a it's a really intricate puzzle that we all are always trying to put together. Yeah, well, I mean, you're describing owning a small business, yeah, and so the fact that you came out of fine dining. I'm, it's fascinating listening to you talk about the journey of educating yourself about coffee and its processes and how, how it gets here. Did you, when you came in here, have the front of the house pretty well dialed in? Like, uh, did yeah. that come fairly naturally to yeah, you? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I would say so, yeah. I, I brought in a lot of fine dining practices and I wanted to, I wanted to, it to be, you know, high on the, on the, uh, customer service standards. And, uh, I had to, you know, over time I realized like, Oh man, <laughs> this is coffee. Not, you know, not white tablecloth, <laughs> right. you know, restaurant. So I had to kind of dial it back a little bit. Um, you can def- definitely ask some of my early staff, uh, who are still here, thankfully. Um, oh, that's cool. uh, you can definitely ask some of them. There's like, why are we so stringent on these things? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I had the front of the house pretty dialed for yeah. sure. Because not everyone has that. What's funny is you you hear one of two stories when it comes to uh, a business like this. When you're when you're opening what you could call a passion project, right? Yeah, yeah. It's either someone who sort of comes from the customer service side and understands that, right. and has to learn the technical side, right? Or it's like someone who came from a finance background. You know, they were working for you know some big accounting firm right. or something, so they got the numbers dialed in. Right. But customer service is just like a mystery to oh, them. Oh, totally. You know. Yeah. And so you can almost see that when you go into places. It's right. like, was it service first, and then did they learn that later? And right. if a place is around long enough, you're not going to notice. Right. But at first, it's like, okay, what, like, what was the origin story for this business? Definitely. So. Yeah, you can. I, I think you definitely see some of that in. You yeah. know, I have many weaknesses, and a lot of them were probably on the back outside where people didn't see. Thankfully. Uh, well. Yeah, the, the front of the house is most visible because when you walk in, like, you're hit with a vibe, like, right away. Yeah. And so, and that's important. Right. You know, you want to get that right. And whatever it is, you know, may not be for everyone, but you want, you don't want anything accidental right. to, to color their perception. You want to be intentional. Like, totally. It, it's like, oh, okay, this ain't exactly my place. It's like, yeah, but what is this place? Right. And if they get that right, then you're okay. Right. Because you can't be all things to all people. No, you can certainly try, but I've, I've definitely seen... I've definitely seen people expand all, expend all of their resources trying to be all things. Yeah. And then they've got 82 different flavors of syrup that are just backstocked in there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just waiting to yeah, like, uh, attract fruit flies, right? Right. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, you, you can't be all things to all people. All yeah. right, man. So what's, uh, what's next for you guys? Um, you're, you're opening your bigger roasting facility, yep. which is 
like 10 times the size of the room we're in, right? Yeah, 50 times 80 or something like that. That's yeah. It. yeah. It'll definitely increase our capacity. Um, yeah, what's next is uh, we're, we're trying to get that going, yeah. and which will allow us to uh, uh, expand our seating here in this current space. Oh, yeah, cool. Right? Um, because we can get rid of this. Uh, all of our bean storage is right behind that wall over there, and so that can, oh, be, wow. that can right. be seating instead. So that'll help us here. Uh, and then we got a little... It's not super public yet, but we got a little little something in the works for next um, probably April ish. We're okay. looking at a second location opening. Oh wow! All right, so that's a little that, clue into the future. That's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It just wow, going from one to two, man. That's uh, I I know when I had kids, going from one to two. Yeah, it's a big deal. So yeah. I mean, you'll have you'll have two babies here. Yeah, yeah, it's we're excited for it. It's been a massive massive challenge, but we're excited. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Eric Yoakum, this was uh, an enormous pleasure. Now's the time when we do plugs. So where can people find Two Rivers Coffee online, in the real world, and whatever else you want to plug, do it now. Yeah, excellent. Uh, you can find us at uh, 77th and Wadsworth. Uh, it's our cafe. We love having people in uh, to our shop. We love knowing people's names and faces. Yeah. Um, that's our preferred method. If you can't do that, you can go out to tworiverscoffee.com, T-W-O, riverscoffee.com. Uh, you can sign up for subscriptions there. You can have it delivered to your house every week or every two weeks or three weeks or however many bags you want, whenever you want them. Uh, you can buy cool hats on our website. <laughs> nice. Uh, you can get brew methods on our website. Yeah. I mean, it, we're trying to, trying to make sure people can get their, get our, their coffee whenever, uh, they need it, wherever they need it. Nice, man. Yeah. I love spotlighting local businesses, small businesses. Uh, thanks Appreciate to CJ that. for, uh, for hooking this up. Yeah, uh, I think you guys are doing great work. This is a cool spot, and I wish you continued success, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. This has been such a pleasure. A lot of fun. That wraps up episode 187 of the John of All Trades podcast with Eric Yoakum, Two Rivers Coffee. Man, what a great shop. I was in there hanging out. You can kind of hear the din of the shop like in the background. It was like, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on like a Wednesday, and it was bumping, man. Like They're doing great work. They've got cool stuff there. Thanks for being on the show. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. We are on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Check out my Instagram series, Worst Coworker Ever, if you're into weird and adorable cat photos with silly captions written by yours truly. That's the place to do it. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. Facebook is the only place to get exclusive episode previews. Hope you enjoyed the brand new series I'm doing, First Jobs. Eric Yoakum was the first first job that I'm featuring. That goes up every Monday where I ask one question of that week's guest. They spend a couple of minutes answering it. I think it's a fun way to tease out the show and give you some bonus content. We're available on iTunes and Stitcher. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come right to you, including the First Job series. And uh, if you're feeling generous, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Those things all help the John of All Trades podcast. Check out other shows on the Denver Podcast Network. That's at denverpodcast.net. I'm back here next week with a brand new episode. And so until I hear you back here again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.